Hi friends, welcome back to Unfeigned Christianity, where we seek to find culturally aware, biblically nuanced, and Jesus embodying responses to current day issues as we seek to love God and others from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. I'm excited to have on the podcast today a friend of mine, Drew Latin. He's the co-host with Titus Kiffer, who I've had on a couple times as well. Drew's been on at least once before, but they co-host that Jesus podcast together. So I highly recommend it. They they have a lot of good interviews. They recently had uh, Sheila Gregory. She wrote this book, The Great Sex Rescue, Sheila Ray Gregor, however you say that. They recently had her on the podcast. They've had Preston Sprinkle, Drew, G.I. Hart, different folks like that on their podcast. I definitely recommend checking them out. They also have a Patreon membership, just like I do. I'm a part of their Patreon membership, and they, they give a lot of good spicy, provocative interviews for their Patreon members, which you can access also. In this conversation with Drew, we talk about how our faith changes and grows in different ways that we've shaped and and how do you love multiple perspective people of multiple perspectives when do you know when you should leave a community or not leave a community? We get into all kinds of things. It's a very casual conversation. I just always enjoy having having a conversation with him. And we basically had a conversation over the mic. And so I trust that it's helpful and encouraging to you as well. We also talk a little bit at the end about mental health and just how Christians can think about mental health and, and some of the ways we can process it. That's a part of the expanded version, which you can access as a member of Unfeigned Christianity. If you'd like to learn more about that, click the link in the description or visit asherwhitmer.com forward slash member, and you can learn more about that. Without any further ado, I'd like to introduce to you my friend, Drew Latin. Drew and Lissel and Teresa and I have known each other roughly, I don't know, 10 years, I guess now, since we were at IGO as students. And then we lived kind of together over there for a few years and then um, have maintained contact. Uh, when I began Bible college back in 2018, Drew was a part of a group that I just asked if I could call I think it started out monthly, but kind of every now and then and discussed different things that I was learning and processing. And he was gracious enough to be a part of that. And and we maintain conversations since then. I think we were talking before we hit record. You were on one other public episode. I think you did a, mm -hmm. a Patreon episode with me, too, um, a few years yeah, ago. Right. But, yeah, it's good to have you here. Just you on this <laughs> podcast. You are the main host or co-host of That Jesus Podcast? Well, some of that's TBD, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'm the, the co-host at this point of That Jesus Podcast. Yeah. I've had Titus Kipfer. Yeah, Titus. I've had Titus on, I think just twice. Um, and then I think I had shared via my channel some of the stuff that we did with the third way podcast, which he would have been a part of as well. 
Um, yep, and we've had you on that Jesus podcast. So if you're yeah. sick of us, then, you know, we're getting a little bit inbred, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, I really, I, I've always appreciated talking to, um, I was talking here as though I'm talking to the audience, but I'll just say it to you. I've always appreciated talking to you, um, Drew, just in, I don't know. Um, I feel like, yeah, I don't know that our personalities are that much alike. You're far more intelligent than I am and better at communicating and teaching, but we both enjoy theology and Bible study and kind of wrestling through. I don't know if you'd say like, for me, it's probably a little bit of like challenging the status quo for you. It's maybe the, the fact that you've been immersed in your adult life, immersed in a Christian tradition that wasn't necessarily what you grew up in. And so mm -hmm. there's, there's areas where you just didn't resonate with the status quo all the time. I don't know. What, what would you say? Like what, how would you look at the way you process some of the <laughs> Anabaptist theology and so forth? Yeah. I, I think that in many ways, I have spent a lot of my adult life in ministry, like really trying to please people and, and people at home, we were like, wow, you kind of, that's a big fail on your part. But, um, <laughs> um, I, I think I do often really try to like understand and find places of agreement, but I'm also like a real stickler for like precision and making sure things are accurate and true. And again, somebody could say, wow, you don't always do a good job of that, but I, that's kind of the place where I come from. And so mm -hmm. I want to find a place of agreement really, really badly. I want to find peace, but I'm pretty uncomfortable if it doesn't feel like we're on the same page. And so sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I can sort of coerce people over to my position. Um, but then like I worked really hard for, oh, for 10 years or, or more really, I'm going to uh, Mennonite Bible school, um, SMBI going to, I go working with, uh, Mennonites, um, hard to fit in, to understand, to appreciate. And I, I still do really appreciate the Anabaptist tradition, the conservative Mennonite tradition, but also never like, like trying really hard to fit in, but also being like, but what about this? And what about that? And what about this other thing? And I think that sometimes can feel a little bit uncomfortable, um, mm. to, to people who are in the tradition and I'm whether I mean to or not, I'm like poking at everything. So yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, I'm like the Todd there coming into a, a new place and like running around poking at this and that and the other thing and saying, what's this, what's that? What does that do? How, oh, look at the light switch. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting way of putting it. I think like for me, some of it, I, yeah, some of it is challenging status quo. There's also a big part of it for me that has genuinely been like, I've grown up in a world where being Anabaptist wasn't predominant. Um, Mm -hmm. we, we interacted with other kinds of Christians. And then my parents have always done a fairly good job of, of facilitating and allowing like all kinds of different conversation. And so. And mine did too. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't really until I started going to um, like SMBI or I go by some of the Bible schools that I realized some of the questions I have or things I talk about are, are unsettling to some people at times. Um, actually, I don't know if 
truthfully, like some of the first articles that I ever published that went meno viral um, <laughs> were like genuinely, I did not realize they would be as controversial as they turned out to be. Yeah. Um, been there, done that. <laughs> so not, not with the publishing so much, but like maybe it was a sermon or yeah. just a conversation I had literally questions I asked in like Bible study group. And all of a sudden people are like, uh, what are you trying to do Latin? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, one of the things we were, so just for those listening in, I, Drew and I have, yeah, since 2018 or so we, we had had conversation off and on for a while. And now it's been, it's been a good year and a half probably since we've yep. really had a decent conversation. <laughs> and so part of, part of this is I asked Drew, I just said, Hey, I'd love to talk to you about some things. And so this is going to be, I mean, most of my interviews are fairly casual, but, um, there may be, it may feel like there's not a whole lot of <laughs> twice as casual. Yeah. Twice <laughs> as casual, a lot of direction or flow. Um, but one of the things that I've really appreciated about you, Drew, that kind of instigated having you on for this particular conversation is there's been a lot of conversation a, about deconstruction. And I wasn't thinking necessarily about deconstruction when I asked you, partly because I don't, that, that word has some baggage with it and I don't necessarily like using that word. Mm -hmm. um, I, I like, I'm working on a, a book right now, actually, um, that I have the, the working title is Unfolding Faith. And the, the concept mm -hmm. is, I basically borrowed it from Teresa. Um, she had a blog for a little bit called The Unfolding Blog. And her, I, her idea with it was just sharing about life as it unfolded, mm -hmm. like as you go throughout life. And I was thinking about that in terms of my faith and just how you kind of, you, okay. So like grow, I grew up in a Christian home, so I, I heard what I should believe and I saw from my parents what to believe and what to do. And then you kind of start doing it in your youth. Maybe you go off to Bible school and you learn why you, you should believe those things or why you do those things and started doing that. Come, come back from Bible school, get involved in different ministry. Mm -hmm. And then I begin to wonder like, is this actually accurate? Is this what we should believe? Um, that kind of led me into deeper. And a lot of that is instigated because of questions that you bump that either people ask you or just issues you bump into in the process of ministry and working with people that weren't answered or die. You know, we didn't address in Bible school. And that led me to really feel a need for Bible college. And then, mm -hmm a deep dive in Bible college, like opened up this whole new world. of was like, wow. Um, yeah, I, w I won't say any more than that right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my faith is, well, there's that process. And then there's things like mom being killed or a church that, you know, having a vision for church planting and then it, it's stumbling along and not like quite going as you dreamed it would be, would go. And, I realize there's these expectations I bring into faith and ministry. And the reality is that it unfolds differently than those 
expectations and I'm shaped, I'm shaped along the way, like becoming a Christian or having faith in Jesus isn't a stagnant destination, but there's this journey that we continue to unfold. And so that's kind of where the, the process I personally, do you mean, do you mean the title unfolding faith? And this is such an English teacher question. That is my, my (laughs) occupation. Um, do you mean by unfolding, do you mean that like, this is the process you're watching. I'm watching my faith unfold, or is it like a call to unfold our faith? Like, like this is something we should be doing. We should watch faith on, we should unfold our faith or it's just like what's happening. Yeah, that's a good question. And you're not the first one to ask me that. I, I'm, I think more of, yeah, like as you're walking, love morphological ambiguities. (laughs) (laughs) Um, as you're walking down a path and you see like how it unfolds in front of you. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, that kind of. So it's it's more describing what's happening rather than yeah. really like saying we need to like like so in deconstruction it's often or it's often stereotyped as you know somebody's going to come and take a you know take a sawzall to the house and and tear it apart. And for you, it's more of like, well, this is just what's naturally happening in my journey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's it's not so much it's not so much focused on like intentionally tearing down. Although there, maybe there could be some arguments made for doing that at times, but Mm -hmm. more it's focused on like the issues that forced me to like, take another look at, is this actually accurate or is this actually the right posture to have or whatever? I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, like I remember, um, my, my dad, when I was, when I was a kid, we, um, he worked at, uh, Radio Shack. This is growing up in Connecticut. And he would bring home these things that people had returned saying they didn't work or whatever. Well, I wanted to fix them. I wanted to use them. My intention was to make them work. But nine times out of 10, we would end up with like bits of plastic and, you know, circuit boards turned upside down on the floor of my bedroom that my mom would walk on and then be very uh, disappointed with my deconstruction of the radio or the telephone. (laughs) But it wasn't. I wasn't intending to destroy something. I was intending to figure out what was wrong with it and put it back together. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a very, that's a good analogy. So, well, I guess what I was saying is something I've appreciated about you observing just kind of from a distance on social media interactions and so forth is, and, and knowing you personally is your heart. Cause Truthfully, sometimes when you read an article or even see some people's posts on Facebook, it's hard to tell. Like, is this coming from a place of bitterness? Is it coming from a place of fandom? Like, it's a it's a common mm-hmm. trend. And so, yep. yeah, it's easy to see I'm hopping on this trend. Or is it coming from a genuine, like, something needs to change in how we relate with people? And it's probably a mixture of all of those for all of us at different times. But yeah. I've sensed from you, and a lot of this probably has to do with the fact that you you have been in church leadership for what five five or six years now. Direct. Well, I mean, yeah, stateside, you were a part of <laughs> church planting, yeah, internationally as well. Yeah, and I don't. There definitely been times where I haven't been gracious, and where things have kind of blown up in my face. But I've. I love Facebook. I love social media in, in principle. And yet I just realize, I, I realize so often how difficult of a medium 
it is to operate in and to do good work. And there's, I have like one brother, two brothers, two, two guys I know that maybe do a really good job, um, mm. dialogue on social media <laughs> and yeah. everybody else, including myself is pretty much garbage at it. Um, <laughs> anyhow, I, I think about, I, I think of another, another example in my own life where I could, I grew up in a, in a family and a church where baptism and salvation were basically tied together. There was no gap between them. Once you said you wanted to be born again, that meant you're going to be baptized and, and baptism means immersed. So just to be clear, this, <laughs> and so I was, you know, asked Jesus in my heart and was baptized two days later when I was eight or nine years old. Yeah, And I, I still, and so when we came to the Mennonite community where you're baptized six months or a year or two or three years after your confession of faith. And it's tied more toward um, faithfulness to your church, to, to, to your church community, your local church. Mm -hmm. I just, I had no time for that. And I would be pretty, pretty loud in my disregard for that tradition. Um, <laughs> as I started working with my nights, I kind of, you know, dialed it down, but I still held to that pretty strongly. What happened, and this is kind of where you're talking about, you know, things are unfolding. You're not trying to tear things down. What happened to me, though, that assumption that baptism and baptism and salvation should be tied together, I had to wrestle with that and deconstruct it, if you want, <laughs> unfold hmm. it when I was working with a couple in Thailand and they were following Jesus. They were wanting to walk in discipleship and faithfulness, but he had a long history with substance abuse. And mm. they were trying to figure out what it means to be a married couple. And they were coming from a Buddhist context with no, like, without the depth of understanding that you and I would have, having grown up in the waters of Christendom or Christianity, at least. Mm. Um, and so when I, when they came and I kind of took them under my wing for discipleship and teaching, I'm like, I want you guys to get baptized because this is what the Bible teaches. Also, you guys aren't ready for it. <laughs> I mm. didn't feel like they had enough information to count the cost mm. of what it means to follow mm -hmm. Jesus. And, um, you know, I could, I could tell a lot of stories. I couldn't baptize a guy who was an active drunk. So, mm. so these were some of the things I struggled with. And I ended up putting off that baptism for quite a bit longer than I was comfortable with, but I wasn't comfortable baptizing him. So I reneged on what I was committed to on my convictions maybe, but that's where like reality comes into my convictions and I have to wrestle through and, and maybe, maybe back up on some of what I believed. And, and in that case, it came to a lot more appreciation of sort of the Mennonite tradition of tying baptism to discipleship within a community. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. That's a good example. So what, I guess maybe I'll just open it up and then we'll just see how it goes. Like what, <laughs> what has the last couple, before we hit record, we were talking a little bit about, you made the comment how you're still processing lessons you learned from COVID. And, um, mm -hmm. and I think anybody listening to this knows you, you at least know that co like 2020, 2021 was a challenging year for mm. pastors. I know of a couple churches where it seemed like they weren't affected that much. 
Um, I've, I've been processing a lot about like different Christians that I know and appreciate and respect. Um, and just, yeah, some of the things that we said to each other, some of the ways we related with each other, even just recently, I was called a liberal for (laughs) being affirming of masks during 2021 or 2020. And it's like, I had no clue. There's like, where, I guess it's more a question. Like, where did, did thinking that we should, you know, oblige, whether it's a government mandate or just out of wisdom for a particular context, wear a mask? Like, where did that become associated with liberalism? And so, so I'm still processing all of this. My question to you is like, that's kind of like the big vivid thing. And then there's been a, a whole bunch of stuff that we've been deconstructing or like reevaluating and looking at what's that been like for you as a pastor, as a, um, as a person too. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, like what are, what are some of the different things you've looked at? I mean, racial issues, uh, whether or not to get vaccinated men and women's yeah. roles, um, even just, in Anabaptist world, even just a, a new conversation around head covering and stuff like that is, and, and it should that be tied with membership and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's all kinds of stuff that <laughs> feels like we're kind of reevaluating. Yeah. And, and I think that, I mean, you just put a whole bunch of stuff on the table, <laughs> but to kind of be a little chronological about it, I think for, for me and for us, we had a whole bunch some really huge, heavy issues with our church community where I was, I was pastor at the time before COVID happened. And we were kind of trying to sort of like whistle along and pretend it wasn't, the world wasn't falling apart in our, in our church world. And then COVID came and we couldn't, like, we couldn't handle it. That was kind of like the last piece, the straw that broke the camel's back, but it was a very big Mm. straw. (laughs) Um, I think what, as I came away from COVID, I think I remember that the first, first few weeks where we still thought it was, you know, caused by a pangolin or something like that from a wet market (laughs) in China. And, and we were like, let's flatten the curve. I actually like stood up. I'm like, okay, so this is going to be our moment. This is going to be the, (laughs) the, the, the nine 11 of, my children's generation of my, my children's generation. And so I just like blithely stood up in front of the church and said, so this is what we know about COVID. This is what Jesus tells us when we're fighting crises. This is what the Bible says about honoring authority. I was just very glib about it. And I, I don't like, I don't think I said anything wrong. I don't think I, um, like I was coming from a good place, but even from that, it kind of set me in a position of like, but it sent me in a place of saying, I'm taking this side. I'm taking the quote government side hmm. before I even knew there was a side. And again, I'm not like, I don't think, I don't know what I would have done differently, except this, that even at that early place, I want to be really circumspect in how closely 
I tie scripture and my position in teaching and preaching to a current event, to politics. Mm. That's why, you know, to bring up another hot topic, that's why I shied away from really saying much of anything about Donald Trump or um, Secretary Clinton or uh, Biden as the years went by. I have lots of strong opinions about Donald Trump that I'll share on a podcast with you. And I have done that in the past, but that's different from my church community. That's different from standing up in the pulpit. And maybe some people would look at me and say, oh, oh no, Drew, you have to address these issues. These are like real life issues. If scripture can't speak to current events and scriptures, you know, can't really speak. I think what I'm saying is that I need to let that application happen primarily from between the text and the person rather between then the pulpit and the person, if you know what I mean. Hmm. And so as hmm. a, as a pastor, as a brother in the church, I, I'm a lot more careful about hitting those issues with the quote authority of the pulpit, if you will, <laughs> than I, yeah. than I would be. How do, how do you do that then? Or how, like, as far as how do how do you encourage or nudge someone to wrestle through an application mm -hmm. between the text and themselves through the medium of preaching or so forth um, without end up um, creating the application from the pulpit to the person or however you said it there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And some of this, I want to be clear. I'm, I'm acting like I, I have this deeply thought out strategy, <laughs> but some of this, like I haven't thought that much about it because church press yeah. has changed so much. Okay. Um, but to jump to the, jump to the end, I'll give an example right here that I, I think I, Titus and I joked about this on, on that Jesus podcast, but, um, I've taught about nonviolence. I've taught about, um, like within the last uh, six months at our church, I've taught about what it means to follow Jesus as our King. Um, I did not teach from the, the pulpit. We don't actually have a pulpit right now. We have a circle. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. And I did not teach from the pulpit that we should not do violent video games or um, airsoft wars. Instead, after I presented scripture, and then later that afternoon over lunch in the, like one of my brothers says, the real church time where we're eating lunch together and, and talking, that's where we talk together. Well, how do we feel about airsoft rifles at church camp? And, and some, some of your audience might be like, wait, wait, that's an issue? And some of you guys may be like, wait, that's an issue in your church, you know, yeah. but, um, it was a question we had. And so we handled that. I shouldn't say handled it, but we talked about it openly in community rather than kind of the, the church service. And I think mm. that made a difference. Mm. Um, how did you teach about nonviolence in the service? <laughs> you mean like from the pulpit? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, mean, I just <laughs> go for it. I mean, I don't want to preach it, <laughs> preach, preach it here, but I think I know what you're, you're getting at. Like I, we did talk about, we did talk about implications and I'll, that was kind of my second point. Mm -hmm. I will, I will with the church talk about my application. Like a few weeks ago, we, we talked about the covering and um, mm -hmm. like what first Corinthians 11 says, and we have a variety of practices in our church toward the end. Lissell and I did talk some about how we apply it, hmm. but it was very clear. And I think I had a track record of saying, 
my application of the principle is not my expectation for you. I want mm -hmm. you to know that I do apply it and we do live it out, but I'm not expecting that everybody do it our way. Yeah. So I think if, if that's kind of your question, like, yeah, <laughs> like I, I don't mind telling somebody even in a sermon setting, like, so yeah, I don't, I, I would reject joining the draft. I would take conscientious, conscientious objector status, whatever, but I can imagine a variety of paths for somebody that's committed to, to mm -hmm. peace, to deal with that. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I was, I was just, yeah. Like where, where is that tension of preaching? I, I am currently not doing preaching in our church, but in LA, when we still live there, um, I preached every few months, every, yeah. Sometimes mm -hmm. it came around more often than not, but where is I, the thing I was always wrestling with, especially in the middle of 2020, when mm -hmm. there are these, we're being, the church is being invited to almost like be embody Jesus in a, in a very vivid and specific way. Um, whether it's in, in LA, we had multiple ethnicities fellowshipping and worshiping together. And so, you know, guiding us through Ephesians two and what does it look like to, to not live as though that wall of hostility or to not like mm. rebuild that wall of hostility that's been torn down in Christ. Um, what does it look like to live as one new humanity? Um, how, yeah, I guess my challenge is like, how do you teach that and flesh that out so that we actually live that then without ending up saying something that somebody's going to feel is the wrong thing. And, and then we get hung up on that one thing or that one illustration that you gave in, in your sermon and totally miss the, the main principle. Yeah. And that's, that, that is an issue. That was an issue quite a bit when, like with the church I was pastoring when we first came back to the States <clears throat> where, yeah, I would regularly have brothers coming up to me and challenging me on what I said and questioning it. And that like, honestly, if you're going to be preaching in a sort of conventional way, that is so healthy, maybe not good for your mental health, <laughs> but to know that people feel like they can stand up and challenge what you're saying and there were times where I'm like, yeah, I misspoke. I, I need to go back and address that. But there were other times where I'm like, you know, I tried to do it graciously, but I'm like, can you show me from scripture where I was wrong? Or like, what did I say that was actually wrong? And their response would usually be, well, I knew what you meant by that. And I'm like, but that's not what I said. And I can't take responsibility for what you assume, I can't take responsibility for your assumptions about me. <laughs> hmm. uh, if, mm -hmm. if you can't show that this was a quote, reasonable inference. And I'm talking like a lawyer and that makes me cringe, but you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. People make assumptions about us all the time and mm -hmm. I can't take that on. And so, um, to, to kind of get back to your question, if I am indeed preaching scripture and then sharing my, my application of it and my application of it, is flowing from scripture. I don't have anything to apologize for. Hmm. So, so nobody hmm. faulted me, for example, 
for wearing a mask. People tease me about getting vaccinated and for wearing a mask at times, but nobody really faulted me for it. They're just like, oh, that's true. He's just, you know, a sucker. Um, <laughs> but if I had stood up and said, you know, Jesus wants us to be vaccinated. This is what it means to love our enemies or, or to, to love our neighbor as ourselves, excuse me. That I think would have been going too far. We could have mm -hmm. talked about that. And I remember talking with a brother who, you know, I work in kind of a quote for, for the um, political sense, quote, little blue island on the Native American reservation where I teach a little blue island in a sea of red in northern Wisconsin. <laughs> and so I'm working with college educated teachers along with a minority group that is really afraid of how the white people have treated them. Mm. and really afraid of going to a white people um, hospital to get medical care because the white people hospital to get medical care literally was the boarding school where their kids were tortured, you know, 60 years ago. Anyhow, that, uh -huh. that's another rabbit trail. But I was like, I'm going to get vaccinated and wear a mask to love my neighbor. Talk to another brother who's selling um, tools and welding to all the other blue collar workers in his community. And he's like, if I wore a mask, they would laugh at me and they would be genuinely offended. And I would lose a relationship because I was wearing a mask. Hmm. So that's where we talked about the application. It's not right for me to say, or it wouldn't have been right for me to say, yes, everybody needs to wear a mask because this is what it means to love your neighbors. It was actually a lot more complicated than that. And then of course you got through to, you know, say to the end of 2020, beginning of 2021, and it became a lot more about virtue signaling and a lot more about, well, this is what we need to do because we're, you know, standing against Trump or whatever. And that was just, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was just a really weird switch in my mind. But anyhow, yeah, it still, it still baffles me. This is totally a rabbit trail, but it, it seems to me like the middle of April, there was a very distinct shift from like, it seemed like Trump and, Fauci and like different people were working together well up until the middle of April. And then it all became just totally political. And oh, I'm, oh, I'm, speaking of, I'm speaking of um, 2020, April of 2020. Yeah. And oh, that, is, well, that wasn't very long. Like that was like two no, months it was, or something. It was two, two months. <laughs> like the first two months of Kumbaya. And then the it's, first lockdown know. was what? 20, it was supposed to be three weeks, 21 days. And then after that, then it was all hell broke loose. <laughs> yeah. So I think for me, how do I, how do I, it sounds so bad. Like, how do you teach the Bible without applying it? And that's absolutely not what I want to do, but how do I teach it without teaching my application as the only application yeah. without assuming that if you don't follow my application, it means that you're not really making any application. And it's, it's really about teaching authoritatively what the principle is and then having discussion, conversation, dialogue, and life around that principle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what about, we've kind of so far been talking about COVID and some of that stuff, mm -hmm. but like, what about some areas where you have, as a pastor, like you have shifted in your beliefs or, or maybe, maybe it's more your application, um, than beliefs. Yeah. I think 
Yeah, you used the word unfolding a little while ago. And it's interesting to me because as I have that word kind of playing in the back of my head, I um, I feel like it's a really appropriate word. And I can't even, like on a visceral level, it feels right. Because I look, I look back at stuff I wrote 15 years ago, like in emails to people and minutes from, or minutes from meetings we took and things like that. And I'm like, I haven't really changed my position at all. Obviously some things I have, but there's Mm. very little that I've like core to who I am. That's fundamentally changed. It's just the people that I was interacting with, the community I was working with has shifted. And that means that the priorities have shifted so much Mm. of so much of what this unfolding is or deconstruction or decluttering. That's kind of the term I like Mm. (laughs) um, Mm. has to do with uh, reprioritization for me, for my journey. And so um, I just don't care as much whether or not a person dresses according to the cultural expectations Um, I recognize, and this is kind of a big deal for me because, you know, as a, in my teens, as a young adult, and I think kind of rightfully so, I'm like, if it's in the Bible, I want to do it. If this is what Jesus says, if this is what Paul says, if this is the tradition of the church, I want to lean into this with all my heart. There are no unimportant passages. And now I look back and I'm like, actually, I think there are, (laughs) That doesn't mean I can ignore some passages of scripture, but I do recognize, again, this is uh, Asher's podcast, so I can be controversial, right? (laughs) I do recognize that. Send all the mail to Drew. Yeah. It's more important to love my enemies than it is for me to make sure that my wife is covering her head when she's praying and prophesying. Hmm. My wife does cover her head when she's praying and prophesying. I think it's a beautiful truth. And I think there's, there's a lot of value there, but there are different hills that I'm willing to die on than maybe I would have been a few years ago. Hey friends, this podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Dwell app. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Dwell audio Bible app, but this app is phenomenal. It, it's changed my life in several different ways. As a Bible college student, I do tremendous amounts of Bible reading throughout the semester, more than I normally do. And I'm not a fast reader. And so one of the ways that I have been able to keep on top of the Bible reading is through the Dwell app. One one of the things I really like about it is there's very meditative, reflective music played in the background of the reader. So it's not dramatized. Some some audio Bible apps are dra- dramatized and that's a little, I don't know, not my cup of tea. But it's a very calming and just peaceful way of having the Bible read to you. There's also, there's at least 15, I think there's close to 30 by now, different voices that you can choose from. There's many different translations you can choose from for the ESV, I think there's maybe two or three voices, if that makes sense. But there's over 15 voices for sure. And so you can have a female voice, you can have a male voice, you can have a British accent, you can have an American accent, you can have a Canadian accent or a, well, I like the British accent. So I listen to the Bible in the British accent. And it's it's been a really good way to keep on top of my homework. But also I have found Sometimes I'll be listening to audio Bible as I commute someplace or as I'm doing some other work 
or even in the morning. Sometimes it's hard to wake up, you're tired, and to sit down and read, it literally feels like an intellectual exercise. You're just, it's like school, like starting your day with school. And I love learning things, but I'm not like, I don't do well at starting my day with school. And so when you wake up and you're tired, but you want you want to meditate on the word of God to just put in my air, AirPods and listen to the Dwell app is an incredible way to start my morning, just in peaceful worship, meditation. I hear things differently when I hear it being read than when I read it. I personally think you should read and hear it both, but that's one thing I like about Audio Bible is different things stick out that didn't stand out before. I'll listen to it as I'm going on a run or something, and I can't say enough good about the Dwell app. And so if you would like to take your meditation, your Bible reading to another level, you can also, if you're not able to sleep at night, you can put in your AirPods and, and listen to the scripture being read and fall asleep that way. I've used that at times as well. But you can start for free. There's a link in the description below, or you can go ahead and purchase the the annual plan, which I have. And it's to me, it's very much worth it just in the way, a couple things, the way it helps me uh, meditate and kind of a fresh view, a fresh experience with scripture. And then also the way it helps me keep on top of my homework. It's been very helpful for me. Yeah. So how do you, how do you, what has been the process like for figuring out what those more important things are? Um, mm -hmm. maybe like a class, a classic example would be, and just, uh, like I'm kind of firing questions at you, but I, I really resonate with what you're saying, both in how to preach, but then also in your evaluation of which Hills to die on. Uh, just over Thanksgiving, some of us had a conversation about feet washing and, mm -hmm. and I made the comment that like, if we're like, if we want to re contextualize the, the head covering, like feet washing is one of those things we really should contextualize and like reevaluate. And then there was pushback to that. Like, why is that, you know, is that not a command mm -hmm. of Jesus? And, and so it's got me thinking about like, well, what, you know, what, why why would i say that about feet washing as opposed to head covering or or maybe somebody's listening and they're saying like why why would either of them be not taken like concretely literally like you yeah. should where yeah what's kind of your process in evaluating some of those things yeah a lot of a lot of wiser smarter people have written a lot more about this sort of like theological triage, um, I think is a term I've heard before. Um, it's kind of a tiered approach. Um, let me back up though and say, if you want to take everything from Jesus and Paul literally and just apply it a hundred percent without any, any consideration of historical context or cultural interpretation for today or anything, do that. That is awesome. <laughs> you know, go and, and be a Rechabite, if you will. I don't think, I, I think there's, God calls different people in the church to different things. And so I don't want anybody to say, like, if you don't need to, to reevaluate your position on something, if it's not something, if, if you don't feel hmm. 
called to to ask like how are we applying the covering or whatever it might be you know another popular one is like wedding bands right like don't like there's no there's no intrinsic moral value to questioning everything and that's that's not a very like post postmodern thing to say <laughs> but i just i think we can get in this like never ending questioning about everything and, yeah. and so my first thing is like hey like if you have the freedom and you don't have the uh community obligation that that i do to wrestle with these things then go for it and let me i don't know i'm rambling before i get to your your real question but okay. just by way of example with um the covering a lot of people wear the covering are blessed by wearing the covering and it's just a a wonderful thing a reminder of the authority a woman has in christ to pray and prophesy and to speak against the principalities and powers with authority that's awesome people i'm working with have been shamed because their covering was too big or too small mm. they have it tied to like sexuality and, and other weird things and so they're ready to throw it out and so i'm not trying to bring a unfolding deconstruction decluttering call to people who are happily serving Jesus and are blessed by their practices. I'm saying for some people, it's not that way. For some people, we're really wrestling with this and it's been used to hurt and it's mm. been twisted. And it's, you know, Satan loves to twist what God makes beautiful. But if he hasn't twisted your beautiful, like don't feel like you have to throw out the beautiful. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, um, what was your original question? <laughs> <laughs> No, that's good. I think, I think, I hope that's freeing to some people because it, yeah, I, I see that tension sometimes in people who there, there are people who think about these things or who have bumped into them. And then there's somebody else close by who's like, not ever thought about it. They're fine the way yeah. they and are. They feel challenged. They feel threatened by the person who's wrestling. Yeah. And it's like, no, you don't, you don't have to go on this journey with me. I'd love for your support. I'd love for you to walk beside me as a friend, but you don't have to do everything that I'm doing. I yeah. just need you as a brother or sister in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. My, my question was like, how do you determine which pieces of scripture yeah. are the hill to die on? Or yeah. And so I actually think that because we have so much, you know, cultural crud on the gospel because the gospel is 2000 years old now in a sense, like it, it's coming into the world and the message of Jesus. We have so much stuff. Nobody is looking at the gospel in its full, you know, naked purity without any cultural lenses. And so because of that, I think we have to do the sort of stuff that, that you did in your, in your Bible study, going to Bible college. You have to, if you want to wrestle through with it, you need to like learn how to study your Bible. <laughs> mm, you need to, mm. to get some, some context for the culture. Um, if for me, it was really freeing to begin to wrestle through how Jesus and his teaching is kind of the center and Paul and the other apostles, um, are kind of linking to that and also authoritative, but like, why is Paul authoritative? Why is Peter authoritative? Well, you have to ask that question. And then that gives you an, the ability to recognize 
to read Paul not just as a list of do's and don'ts, but to read him as somebody who's applying Jesus, as, as a preacher, as a pastor. Mm -hmm. And that was really helpful for me then to, I don't read Paul or Peter without looking for Jesus through it hmm. <laughs> and, and hmm. finding, finding where Paul is pointing to Jesus in everything he says. And if I don't see that, that Paul pointing to Jesus, I'm either missing it or, or perhaps it, it's really an incidental, you know, like, don't forget to bring me my cloak from Troas type of things or, or wherever it was, you know? <laughs> and it's like, well, maybe I don't actually have to go to Troas and get that cloak and, and tell me where that, where that cloak was from, whatever Paul <laughs> talked about. And so it really is some of that skill of properly handling the word of truth. Um, mm -hmm. That would be, that would be one basic part of it for me. But secondly, I think it's hugely important to do this in community. And that's where, and I guess I touched on this previously with my rant. <laughs> that's where I need to look around and see who I'm fellowshipping with what their needs are, what their backgrounds are. We have, we have a couple who've been coming to our church for quite a while. Awesome people, love them, consider them to be part of our church in many ways. He's a Calvinist. He um, doesn't use a King James Bible. He uses a Geneva Bible because King uh -huh. James was the, <laughs> King James was kind of the, the imperial, not imperialist, the, um, the monarch. St yeah. The, yeah. The state, the state <laughs> corruption. Thank you. <laughs> And, and he also came the first couple of weeks, he came to church packing a pistol, like in a, in a holster on the side. <laughs> and, um, and yet I found a lot of unity with him. Hmm. And so all of a sudden I'm like, I kind of reject King James onlyism. I re definitely reject Calvinism in most of its forms or most of its emphases. What's actually important. Am I going to tell him he can't come to church until he renounces his Calvinism? What do we do about his pistol? <laughs> These were the mm -hmm. practical questions. And so all that to say, I need to take scripture, understand scripture for what it is as the cultural document that it is, the cultural artifact that it is. And then I need to look at what my actual real life community is now and, mm -hmm. and apply it to, to myself in that community, not just mm -hmm. in isolation. Yeah. But yeah, we could, we could go through, I have, I have something I wrote up for the church a few years ago that talked about like, Here's a primary level thing, like the deity of Christ and the Trinity and, um, you know, faithfulness in marriage. That's a primary level thing. Then you have a secondary level. And outside of that, they shouldn't be considered Christians. Yeah. Then you have a secondary level thing where it's like, hey, they may be Christians, but I probably couldn't fellowship with them on a close level. Yeah. And um, so maybe like a, a Catholic who venerates Mary. Yeah. And then, the, then the third level would be something like, um, like they're Christians, we can have fellowship together. And then like the, that final inner circle would be basically myself and my family hmm. mm -hmm. that, that, that would be another place to take it. And I think there's scriptural justification for that too. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I was curious as you're talking and kind of some conversations I've had, um, even I think it was my brother and I were talking about there's several things. One is some people don't like it being called a trend, um, but there's an environment of deconstruction, mm -hmm. reevaluation, decluttering, whatever 
yep. ex- re- examining closely, like what we believe and think and how we do things culturally, like at large, you see that in progressive politics and, and everything, like just kind of re let's rearrange the whole system. And that, that environment um, is felt in the church too, whether that's the culture imposing it, or it's just, it's, it's, you know, like when it's cold outside, we're mm-hmm. here in Colorado, the nights have been dipping down below freezing sometimes like inside it gets cold too. And so even when the environment outside the church is a certain way, like you're going to feel that a little bit inside the church and it's not necessarily nefarious. Like anybody's intentionally trying to do something. Maybe there are, but, but we live in that environment. And so can I, can I pause you there for a minute though? I think you said something really important. This is, this is an environment and we could argue sociologically whether like this is always an environment or it goes through generational cycles or whatever. But if there are people with questions, if there are people that are deconstruction, deconstructing inside the church, outside the church, we have to see that as like an opportunity to love. Hmm. Like our, mm-hmm. our reaction should always be whether we're dealing with a Nicodemus or a rich young ruler or, you know, a Syrophoenician woman, whoever it is, we need to show them the love of Jesus. And to look at, at, somebody deconstructing or whatever you want to call it as being a problem. It's an, again, to say a person is an opportunity is also kind of icky, (laughs) but like, I I just don't under, I just don't get why we would say, Oh, look at it's getting cold outside. What are we going to do? Like invite people in, show them where the warmth Mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's good. I, yeah, I I was basically, (laughs) that's good. I lost my train of thought now. Um, It sounded like you were le- leading up to ask, like, so, like, what do we do about the people deconstructing? <laughs> yeah, well, I my question was, where, and you spoke on this a little bit before when you were talking, but where are the where are the boundary or? Oh no, no, this is what I was thinking. So there's, it's an environment. Everybody's doing it. But then I think there's also kind of enmeshed within that is a desire to see unity in a way that we haven't seen in a really long time. Like mm-hmm. to, to be able to like, rather than be hostile towards someone who has a different belief, like to be able to be at the same table and have a conversation about it and walk away yeah. as brothers and sisters. And I guess when those two get coupled together, we do see at times like what even to me can feel insecure at times. Like, where is this going to stop? Like, are we going to become yep. okay with, with just rampant divorce and remarriage throughout the church, yep. same yep. sex marriage? Like, is, is it an inevitable snowball or slippery hill <laughs> as some people might like, yeah. How, how do we process what the boundaries are. But then when you begin talking about boundaries, we be, we're doing the very thing that we're like kind of trying to get away from. Mm-hmm. And yet, is it okay? Like, is it okay if we're fellowshipping with people who don't believe in the divinity of Jesus? And like, yeah. does that make sense? Like those questions are kind of pertinent. Yeah. Uh, and there are a lot of, like a lot of questions there on the table. Yeah. Um, let me, let me kind of make it personal again. And this is kind of a weird way to go. I've made my, 
friendships, my, my friendship circle a lot broader in the past few years, in the sense that I have friends who are atheists, friends who are Lutherans that have deconstructed and, and left. And, um, you know, friends that are super conservative and friends that are liberal. I've made that circle bigger and I've made the circle of people that I feel personally accountable to and personally accountable for much smaller. Hmm. And so I can be loving and I can be like Jesus and I can learn and appreciate and laugh with, you know, my, my friends that, that need Jesus. And I also like learn from, <laughs> and maybe they divine the de deny the deity of Christ, or maybe they're, they're LGBTQ or maybe whatever, but the core group of people that I'm closely connected with that I consider to be my people, my church, if you will, my local body, that's a lot smaller. And I feel like, and I don't, I don't know if I have a lot of scripture for this. And if I could come up with something right now, I probably feel like I haven't, I'm probably just kind of like throwing scripture at you <laughs> without having really thought about it. But practically that's how I've, how I've wrestled with it. And so the, the little tiny group of 30 people, 25 people that we fellowship with, they keep me grounded and keep me from going off the deep end, which enables me then to engage in rich, meaningful friendships with, with a much broader spectrum of people. But no, I still like part of me would love to, to welcome people who are divorced and remarried into a close community with Jesus. I, I have a lot of questions about that, but I still, I still can't quite see my way to, to embrace the idea that yeah, divorce ends a marriage and you can just go and get remarried and that's okay. Hmm. Mm -hmm. But can I fellowship in a, in a generic sense, in a general sense with somebody who even is divorced and remarried? Well, I'm called to love them. I'm, I'm called to, to share Jesus with them. So, so yeah, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm still not sure if I could take that as my like intimate group. And there, once again, hopefully I, I offended both sides of the spectrum. People who are listening to you. <laughs> yeah. No, that. that but what, what do you do? Like, how do, how do, how do you work through that with your, um, relationships? Say somebody who denies the idea of Christ or is, you know, identifies as, as trans. Um, yeah, yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, both of those, I have a couple of different friends, like that's not a theoretical conversation mm -hmm. for me. It's a, yeah. it's a very practical conversation. Um, I think like, I don't, I don't know of anybody personally who's, who's a f f disciple of Jesus, like openly disciple of Jesus who identifies as trans. And so that may present like a new um, situation if I did develop mm -hmm. a friend like that. So for me, it's, it's really simple. It's like, I, my number one goal with, with the friends that I do have is to gain a voice with them and, and disciple them to Jesus mm -hmm. and, and Jesus, like the, the eternal, how do I say it? The thing that really matters for their eternal destiny is not whether or not they embrace calling themselves a man or a woman 
because that's what they were born sexual, like biologically. Mm -hmm. Um, but rather is yeah, that they can come to see Jesus as Messiah, as their, their Lord and Savior. And the, the gender confusion and, and figuring out what to call themselves or how to identify themselves is a process that we can, we can journey together on just like I'm, I'm really impatient. Like I, that, that is probably the biggest sin in my life right now that, um, I, I kind of sounds like a humble brag brother, but okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I'm, I'm just serious. Like the, um, I, I hear you though. Like, especially when I get stressed, like I have had a number of, of opportunities in the last few years to, to take a, a position in the church of leadership and so forth. And the number one thing that has held me back is how, like, how can I, you know, Peter or Paul or both of them say like, how, how can they lead the flock of, of God if they're not shepherding their household well? And, and I really struggle when I get stressed and being involved in church leadership is I've, I've done a little bit of it Mm -hmm. as an interim elder, but it's stressful and there's things constantly on your mind that then you got to come home and somehow solve when your kids are all spatting and your wife is tired. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm just saying like, that's an example of a sin in my life where I have begged God to show me like, what's at the root of this, what's going on. Like, I wish I could be gracious and just not ever raise my voice, not ever like put people in their place without asking for context mm-hmm. in the story and discovering that, Oh, I kind of misunderstood what the issue was. Um, yep. and that's a, that like, I want my wife to journey with me. I don't want her immediately calling for a restraining order or for some like big separate, like discipline from our pastors or whatever. Like that's a, that's a process I want. I want to grow in that. And how much like struggling with your gender identity isn't a sin. Like that's not even a sin specifically, like how you act out sexually. Yes. That does get involved in sin, but wrestling through that i want to have the patience with people as they process that just like i would have want patience with me um and i guess that's i'm really rambling but that's one example of of how no i don't i believe that the biblical vision for marriage is between a man and a woman i believe that god made male and female but i also know that we live in a I mean, Paul tells us we live in a world yep. that groans with anguish and pain and is waiting for, for, um, redemption. And so we're going to feel that in many different ways. One person's feeling it with confusion about their gender identity. I'm feeling it. I'm, I'm just pulling one example. There are many sins yeah. that I have dealt with over life, but, um, like this habitual kind of knee jerk impatience. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of joked about it a little earlier, not to minimize, um, but because it does sound sometimes feel like, 
oh yeah, I'm such a busy person, so important that I just, I just struggle to be patient with all these slow people sometimes. <laughs> I know that's not what you meant. And yet, you know, I guess, and this is a real rabbit trail, but this is precisely my struggle. If I ever stop teaching middle school English, it'll be because I need the margin to be able to be patient with my own children and wife and church. <laughs> yeah. Because for, for some of us, not all of us, but for some of us, patience is a, you know, a valuable resource that is used up rather quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so I hear what you're saying and I hear, hear that there's a sense in which we do tend to put sins on a tier. And I, I think there's, there's place for that. Um, and yet it really lets us, off, lets us off the hook for the sins that aren't quite so, you know, quote, high profile. Yeah. And I guess like one of the things that started convicting me about the whole patience thing is that that's a fruit of the spirit. Like if, <laughs> if I, if I'm not embodying Man, patience, here's a scripture to us, <laughs> like how can yeah, I absolutely claim to be speaking on behalf of the spirit of God or like interacting if, if I'm not embodying patience if if patience isn't becoming a yeah if i'm not becoming a more patient person yeah i i mean i just can't say amen enough i i don't want to be too cutesy here but i i think it does all come back together um we've spent so much time you know i've if people talk about the greatest threat to the church today is critical race theory. Um, you know, people talked about leaving churches because masks were required or masks weren't required or whatever. And it's like, what is required? Like, what does Jesus require of us? And he calls us to love our neighbors, love our enemies, love our brothers. And then Paul explains to us, that a lot of what this means is the spirit's going to be in you bearing fruit. And we don't separate ourselves from each other because we're impatient or we're not showing love or we're not showing self-control. And yet those aren't the issues. And I don't think we should separate ourselves from each other, but this is what I'm talking about. Like tears. Mm -hmm. I literally, I, I hear people on social media you know, accidentally on purpose, like this is, this is Twitter. Um, I've been a little bit more active on Twitter lately as Facebook, just, yeah. But again, Twitter is like out of the frying pan to the fire. I don't know, but I see these, um, you know, conservative evangelical Christians talking about how the, the woke liberal agenda is coming into the church and we have to stand against it. And I'm like, yeah, I get some of that, but it's said without any fruit of the spirit. And I'm like, dude, you're a pastor. Mm -hmm. We have to show love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. I watch some of my other friends interact with um, agnostics or, you know, now flaming liberals because they've deconstructed and they interact with them with such love and kindness mm -hmm. and fruit of the spirit, even though they're like conservative Mennonites and and the the liberal, the apostate, the atheist still is friends with them, still interacts with them because they're showing the fruit of the spirit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I really think that that is the, the answer to a lot of these questions about, mm -hmm. about how we 
how we draw these lines and how we engage with people is like, you know, maybe Jesus will onto something when he says that, you know, all of the lies summed up in love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love mm-hmm. your neighbor as himself, mm-hmm. as yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. What do you do? I, I have a couple questions. I, um, do you mind if we, uh, I'm, I'm kind of pausing. I'll probably edit this out, but if, I'd, I'd like to hear or pick your brain uh, or yeah, both hear your journey and pick your brain about, <laughs> um, mental, mental health. And I, I would maybe use that as a patron only section. Just for Patreon. How many Just Patreon do you have? <laughs> like 120 some. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Is that cool? Um, um, so maybe we'll do that in a bit, but I have an, another question that uh, maybe to kind of wrap this up here before we move on. What something that I have genuinely been processing and and struggling through because I seesaw back and forth on it. Um, you you mentioned earlier when you were talking about coming to the place, uh, I forget you're more concerned that people love their neighbor than that your wife is wearing a head covering when she prays and prophesies. I think it was something like that. Mm -hmm. What if you're in a church and, or you're looking for a church or you're in community with people who you you're coming to realize that there's this thing that is important, loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, you know, I think something like something for me, excuse me, has like, there is embedded within the gospel. There is a, I, I don't like this word unity because of what we think about it, unification, unity, because of what we think about it today, but it is, it is the biblical word, um, Mm -hmm. of all peoples, like a unity of all peoples, a, a oneness, maybe harmony is a, is a good word. It's not, I, I referenced earlier Ephesians two, like where Paul is talking about the, the Gentiles who were once aliens and strangers to the Commonwealth of Israel are now brought into the family and they're the two are made one in Christ. The wall of hostility is torn down an illusion, you know, probably to there, there was an actual physical wall that represented keeping Jews out. Um, but it's also probably somewhat metaphorical of, of Mm -hmm. just the, the divisiveness that happens between ethnicities and, and the difference when you're in a church set, or I'm, I'm just sharing for myself, like it's, I really, really struggle when I begin to, when I'm in a community and I begin to catch on that there's a lot of jokes about other people. Or like when I know friends of mine would come here and be disoriented or like offended because yeah. they're of a different ethnicity or from a different cultural background. And there's not, there's not a, yeah, it's just not funny to them. Like I myself may not be so affected by it 
Mm -hmm. but I know that there would be other people where it, it begins to feel like there's hostility between them and these brothers and sisters. Is that a reason to like separate and go find a new community? Um, is that something to confront or when do you also like learn how to try to lovingly exhort one another to love and good works? Like the, is my question clear? Like it's basically the question of like, when do you know when to leave or when to stay mm -hmm. in love? Like we're wanting to embody love and friendship to, to all people, but then these, some things are important. Mm -hmm. it seems. Well, and, and you ask yourself why it's important. And I'm assuming that everything you've laid out is true in the sense that it's like true to your motives, true to what you're seeing and all that. And so if it's true, well, then you can look and say, wait, 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 is it, is it loving to, for example, make jokes about, you know, ethnic based jokes or, um, or, or, you know, go off about how the, the black people or the gay people are doing the X, Y, and the Z, and this is just ruining America. Like that's not loving. And so I want to call you out on it. I, you're hitting on something that's, that's really like up close and personal to me because mm -hmm. I struggle with it. I'm, I'm educated and I have a white collar job and basically everybody else in my church and in the broader Anabaptist community, almost everybody else is, you know, somewhere between an off white collar job and a blue collar job. And, and we're in Northern Wisconsin. There aren't many black people here. For example, we have, uh, I'm sitting on, you know, Native American land right now in a Native American school doing this conversation. So I can come off quite shrill to my white friends as a white person that wants to care about minority people mm. or people that aren't being represented in a particular community. And I've done some damage there. <sighs> damage because I've come off of shrill damage because I didn't take the time to listen to where they were coming from damage because and you said this at the beginning, I left to a conclusion about why they were saying that rather than genuinely hearing their hearts. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I, I will say that in the last year and a half with our quote new church, <laughs> we've had some really hard conversations Um. And it's, I've, I've learned and the, the brothers who were kind of making these comments and stuff, like I, I've learned not to react to things that offend me personally, but aren't really offensive. <laughs> and I've learned also to, and my, my brothers have also learned to be a lot more gracious and even to apologize and to be like, yeah, that was, that wasn't okay. And, and wanting to learn. Sure. So, <laughs> so my question, your question was like, do we when is it right to, to cut and leave if people are, you know, using the N word in the fellowship meal every Sunday afternoon? I, that's not what you said, but for example, yeah, my, if you actually are part of a community and you're plugged into them and you have this, we are in Christ together. We're brothers and sisters. You're part of my little group. I don't think you should cut and leave. I think you should lean into it and lean into it really hard to, 
understand what's going on, to listen, and and then to share. And if they love Jesus, like you have to trust the Holy Spirit in somebody else. You have to trust that they don't actually want to be offensive. They don't actually want to be difficult. They may be operating out of some hurts or frustrations, which is what I found it with the one brother that I talked with. He was he had a, a lot of backstory to some of the stuff he said. And I was like, oh, wow, that does make sense. I might feel some of the same way. Mm-hmm. That might not have justified how he expressed it, but man, I didn't do a good job hearing that. Mm-hmm. So if you're actually part of the community and they're part of who you are, I would lean into it and mm-hmm. and love them and walk with them. On the other hand, like I've, <laughs> I've left Facebook groups. I have unfriended people. I have, you know, IRL folks that I just don't connect with very often because I don't have the time and energy to lean in and I don't really want to be associated with that. And mm-hmm. so I just move on. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. That's and it, also I'm a white person and maybe you should have a black person talking about that. Or, <laughs> well, yeah, I uh, mean, that was kind of the example. Um, <laughs> another example we could use is like the, the way pastoral, like if, um, you know, if a pastor is, has habits of centering himself or manipulation or whatever, like, yeah. does that mean yeah. you immediately leave the church? And, um, yeah, like it feels like, again, speaking of the environment, and I run the risk here because I, I do genuinely believe that there's issues and abuses within church leadership or whatever that needs to be addressed. And I'm grateful for the fact that it seems like things are, it's kind of like men in pornography, like 30 years ago, maybe they didn't talk about it, but then in the last decade, it's been a a large conversation and, and there are um, men finding freedom because we have a, a large conversation, but, and so that's good that, we're willing to address this and there's, there's more work to be done, but it also seems like we, we take a bit of a, I don't know what, I don't know what all it is. I'm trying to describe it with in a way that doesn't cast assumptions on people, but yeah. Um, well, do you, do you kind of know what I mean? Like, yeah, your example of a, of a church leader that, maybe has some abusive tendencies or has a, has a tendency to center himself and to be less of a shepherd and more of a showman, yeah. um, a controller. Like I, I can really resonate with that. Having both dealt with pastors who were like that and at times had tendencies that way myself. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a common thing I've talked with others who, you know, again, not to go all Kenny Rogers on you, but you know, no one to hold him, no one to fold him, <laughs> no one to walk away. I, I, I don't have a good answer to that. I just, we need to make our communities smaller so we can make our, like our, we need to make our, our spiritual community is a little bit smaller so we can make our life communities a little bigger. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so and I kind of lost my train of thought there, but I think we have to be really careful to not stand with somebody who is abusive for too long and, and spiritual abuse is a thing. Mm-hmm we 
so often the measure of a pastor or a leader, or, you know, it can be any sort of organization is, well, look how many people are coming to church on Sunday or look at how many people he influences or, you know, well, this guy thinks he's okay. Yeah. And, and so the, the number of people following him is in and of itself an endorsement. I, I did a blog post a month ago or so, a couple months ago about, um, actually it was just for our Patreon <laughs> about, should we burn, you know, Robbie Zacharias's books and oh, um, interesting. I, John Howard Yoder and things like that. Must've missed it. And, and it was, you know, it was for Patreon cause I wasn't quite sure it was ready for prime time, but <laughs> I basically said like, dude, burn them all, you know? <laughs> Hmm. When we have somebody who's in a position of leadership, and again, I feel like I'm probably not answering your question because I'm talking about leaders now. They're actually, they don't receive the same level of grace and forbearance as somebody who's not in a position of leadership. They're called to a higher standard. Hmm. I, I hmm. like That's what scripture tells me. And the, I see the reasons for that with somebody like Ravi Zacharias, somebody hmm. like John Howard Yoder. And, and so... Yeah, I think that if I am if I am being called to stand with somebody who's potentially being abusive to others, I really need to think closely about that and err on the side of standing with those who are oppressed. Err mm. on the side of those who mm. who might be hurt by my standing with the person in, in authority. Jesus yeah. always chose the underdog. Now there's a <laughs> there's, you know, a problem with that the underdog isn't always the good guy right but but that's kind of where i would go does that does that kind of get to where you were thinking yeah yeah i think i think it's helpful i mean the thing about questions like that and probably wise answers to questions like that is it forces you to <laughs> to go into your closet and wrestle through an application for yourself um instead of like answering this you know telling me specifically what I should do. Um, yeah. And, and I think, I think I've also heard stories of people to, to go back to my, my first answer when we started talking about this, this topic, if you have the ability to, then you probably should lean into it. Like if mm -hmm. you have a pastor in your church or a leader in your life that has some problematic tendencies and you feel like you can stick it out and you can make a difference, don't just like kind of quietly, you know, go gently into that good night. You want to, you want to mm. lean into it and, and challenge them as a brother or sister in Christ. Mm. And so, yeah, it's like, how am I best going to be able to hold to truth and hold to love in this situation? Mm. How am I best going to be able to serve this upside down kingdom? That's all about laying our life down and letting go of authority. Yeah. Sometimes that means quietly leaving. Sometimes yeah. it means standing up and saying something, Yeah. but I also hate like the perpetual, uh, is this okay? Maybe this is a slur, <laughs> the perpetual Karens where we, and I can be this way sometime where we're like, I'm constantly going from one person to the next, the next challenging them. And I think maybe God calls some people to be like that, but, yeah. but I'm talking about community. I have to find a place to rest and yeah. Yeah. Anyhow. We need a male name instead of Karen's because there, there are definitely men that Kyle. are kind of like that too. <laughs> I've had this conversation with my middle school English students and um, I think Kyle was definitely one of the, one of the possibilities. One of the <laughs> I don't think, I don't think we call Karen's who are men. I don't think we have a specific name because that's basically most men, right? Um, <laughs> Ouch. That's a little. <laughs>
Yeah. Thanks for sharing, Drew. And um, I, I appreciate the time, taking the time to talk, to have this conversation. People just, I'll, I'll give the promo for you and then you can tell where to <laughs> to go find you. But you, um, you do podcasts regularly. I actually, I really, a couple things. I've really enjoyed the interviews you get. I've also been impressed <laughs> with some of the people that you're, able to get on. I've, I've reached out to some, you know, when you start reaching out to authors and like other people who mm -hmm. have published best-selling books or borderline best-selling books, like then <laughs> you don't always hear back from them. And uh, it can be a bit of a, a work to, to get those kinds of guests, but you, um, that Jesus podcast is on any podcast platform, I believe. And, uh, Drew hosts it with Titus and, you guys do have a patron uh, membership, which I am a part of. So I have patron membership <laughs> as well. And you might get tired of me inviting you to be a part of my patron membership. I just want to give an example of I am also a patron of other people. And That Jesus Podcast is one of them. And I do. I have often, especially the podcast, which I don't think you guys have done a whole lot of patron-only podcasts, have you? I've listened yeah, to a couple, <laughs> but the, I, yeah, I missed the done. article you mentioned earlier. We're honestly still figuring out how to do some of the Patreon. Um, yeah. So we mostly like, I'm trying, I'm trying to put out a couple of things a month. Um, and that's a whole nother conversation, <laughs> but yeah, if you tune into that Jesus podcast, we've kind of moved back to doing it uh, every other week for the main feed and then trying to do something a couple of times a month on the Patreon. Um, okay. But yeah, we yeah. do. We do interviews that are maybe a little too edgy for, or clips from interviews that are a little too edgy for the main feed and kind of my, my ramblings about life. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. So if you would like to hear more, I really, um, I really appreciate that Jesus podcast in the way that they process a lot of different issues, sort of like we've talked about, um, here and, and, um, the emphasis that they've given on spiritual formation throughout there, especially if you go back to the, the early episodes, I know they kind of specifically addressed some of their, I don't know what you'd say, uh, pillars of spiritual formation or mere mm -hmm. devotion. Titus calls it mere devotion. I think, um, kind of the practices of, of a disciple of mere devotion and been challenged and encouraged. And I, highly recommend them and I highly recommend becoming a member because that's a good way. If you <laughs> like the content and you want it to continue to be produced, that's a good way to support it so that it can be produced. Yeah. Where do they, is that just that Jesus com, or where should they go to? Yeah. At this point we don't have a website. Um, okay. We just have the links in the, like the podcast feed. Um, if you want to kind of get to a, an easy to remember URL, uh, go to sort of our, our umbrella organization, kingdomoutpost.org, and then oh, just yes. click on the, the podcast drop down menu and find that Jesus podcast, um, yeah. kingdomoutpost.org. So yeah, things might be shaking up a bit. Really appreciate the endorsement. Um, and your, I'll, I'll put this out there too, your, your support and some of our other Patreon, like that's, there've been times where we've like, we have a really good run. Maybe we should just throw in the towel, but knowing that people are listening and putting some, some money into it has really, made me keep wanting to going along with 
I always have stuff to say as a, <laughs> as this conversation demonstrates. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's so, yeah, good. we just released an episode with Sheila Ray Gagoire about the great sex S rescue. So that was, that was a spicy episode. Yeah. I haven't listened to that one. I was like, Oh wow. They had her on. I thought about having her on. Um, I've shared some of her stuff and have gotten strong, strongly mixed feedback. And so <laughs> I'm like, speaking of mental health, I'm waiting for a time when, when I'm willing to process through some of the, some of the feedback that might be getting. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to listening to that episode. As you guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been good talking Azure. Yeah. Thanks for being on.